hello everyone so this is the first episode of Boonaminal and that's a baby boomer and a millennial mum and daughter duo so I'm Clee and I'm Mo and we're going to talk you through this episode job interviews because career is a massive massive topic in life so first thing I think we could talk about is that interview step mum it'd be great to hear from you in terms of your job search back then and whatever years they were how how was that for you how did it go my job search started at 16. Um, I was still at school, hadn't completed my exams as yet. I think I had about three to go. Um, I applied in application form to Midland Bank. Mm-hmm. But I've been in writing. Uh, yeah, you filled in an application form and sent it back in. Um, I was um, very fortunate to receive an invite to come for an interview in Holborn. And I went along and I met with the director of personnel, HR as you know it now. Okay. Um, yeah, names and things change, don't they, over the years. Um, I was very frank as a 16-year-old and quite surprised myself when I look back on it and think about it. I was very direct and I said to this guy, after I'd completed some tests and things, that I wasn't good at maths and I wasn't interested in being a cashier, <laughs> but I was interested in being a secretary and I'd be a good secretary. So you said what you want. So I left that interview with the full expectation that I would not get that job. 16, black girl, um, you know, obviously very direct. I met him, met his eye contact and, you know, was very good in my English and grammar and all of that and multiple choice. But wasn't so great in my maths, so I tried to redeem myself by telling him mm-hmm. that I didn't want a job as a cashier. Mm-hmm. You know, really, they don't need to worry about that. I will be doing the typing. Bit, bit cheeky. Yeah, a little bit cheeky when I think of it now. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get that job. When did you hear back then? I heard back, I think, two weeks before I left school. So would that have been maybe like a three-week wait in between the interview? No, two, it was a two-week wait. And in that time, they were doing lots of recruitment and selecting which branch they put you in, etc. I did tell him that I wanted to be in central London because I wanted to take the tube every day. Mm-hmm. And he listened to everything I actually said and gave me a role as a secretary at 79 Piccadilly, West One. Wow. 16 years old. That's great. So that was your first job then? That was my first job out of school. I left school on the Friday and I started my job on the Monday. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> Um, and you know what what sort of year was that that was 1978 wow okay and how long was you did you stay at that job for I stayed at the bank for three years okay so quite a while and was that generally how it went for job searches back then would it have been the same way application sort of a two-week window was it easy to get jobs then I think with the bank it was a two-week window because they were such a large organization I think local jobs and things like that, council jobs even, it was a much quicker turnaround. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You could, you know, literally walk out of one job and walk up the road and get another job. That's good times. Yeah, that, that was, <laughs> that, those were the times. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my time, so I, um, my, I finished school in 2003 and searching for a job has evolved for me. So I did have the days where it wasn't application form and lots of filling out. I remember at times nudging my older brother or yourself even saying, I've got this, I've got to fill it out. And it just looked like a long form to do. But my very first job, I was lucky. It was a friend that I would try to get a job several times and it was the application, fill it out, pop it in. And we hadn't quite transitioned to online just yet. Was this a summer job? Um, no, was this, this a was... a full-time job after you? I did have a summer one, actually. Yeah. It lasted about, about three days after school, if I remember rightly. And that was through, again, um, like a family member. It was through my stepmother. Um, it was through her mum, actually. And she knew someone that ran a post office, sorting office. And that was three days, and I believe I had just finished school and it was just the summertime. And I got paid a wad of money. I didn't have to do any interview. We just sat and we'd pretty much just close up envelopes every day. And then we all had a kind of like a massive alert saying, you know, jobs are finished, there's no more to go. And I thought, oh no. But then when I got paid at the end of those three days, um, or the end of that week, I think I got paid around um, nearly £500. And for a young 16-year-old, I, I was rich, as far as I was concerned. Absolutely. <laughs> I can remember, actually. And the first thing that me and my friend did, instead of me thinking, oh, let me go and look for another job and, and apply, 
Um, I wasn't unactive, but we wanted to go and enjoy ourselves. And she just got money from her dad for the summer. And we found ourselves in Chelsea. It took me a long time thinking back to remember where we had went to. But I remember thinking, where did my mum normally take me shopping? Where do we want to go? And we had, I remember we were on that line. I think it might have been the Piccadilly. I can't remember. But we ended up on Chelsea Kings Road High Street. And we were shopping. We also were with, you know, fancy places. We were shopping back then. We had the gas denim shop that was a yep. big deal back then yep. we're in levi's we're in all these expensive shops and we just kitted ourselves out with some lovely things but back then you could get more for your pound you know of course you could of course so you got you more could. in terms of then um applying when i had um a longer term job i was fortunate to have had a friend that was working in um securico accounting cash house in king's cross and i had to fill out the application form and do an interview even though it was a recommendation and i got that job um, it was quite a quick turnaround, I think, because I had been recommended. I did mm -hmm. have to do the interview first stage and second stage. It was quite informal in a sense that I thought it was going to be because the counting house, I thought, oh gosh, I'm not going to be amazing at maths. But if they ask me algebra, I might get a little bit tied up. Um, but it wasn't too bad. Now, I'll tell you a bit more about this job later on when we get into how the jobs work. Okay, okay. But then time has changed, so I was at that job. I then went on to another job at PC World. It wasn't quite for me, this counting house job. It was great, good money, but it wasn't for me. And um, so clearly, boring. So clearly you don't just do jobs for the money because you've talked about two positions that you had, although they were temporary, but obviously money's not a driver for you in the jobs that you took in your early years. It wasn't. I had to be... I think I just liked to do something that kept me really active where I could also be me. And that's a hard thing to have. Well, that's understandable that as the type of person that you are. Yeah. Yeah. And then what happened was later running time when applying for roles, it then got very digital. And I'll never forget, you know what I mean, digital in the sense of uh, upload your CV. Yeah. And put yeah, like a yeah. little, uh, put your still your cover letter, mm -hmm. an attachment. And, a, and, a, and an image. Oh, the image thing did come about for some other jobs actually, where they would ask you to insert an image or you do the whole profile online and then you had to put your image on there. But these jobs in IT? No, actually. When I was looking for jobs in my career uh, field, they were face to face a lot through agencies um, because of the type of uh, industry it was in. And that was pretty much straight into an interview. It wasn't really hard. It was almost like they were looking to an interview all the time. Oh, okay. Didn't really do much hard mathematical questions at all or anything like that. But it did want portfolios to have a look through. But before finishing my degree, we had those at hand anyway. Yeah. But most of the time during that interview, it was a bit tough because they would ask you, we'll talk about it a bit later in more depth, but they would ask you more around your experience knowing you're fresh as a graduate. So you're oh, thinking, okay. what well, of course, you haven't you. got much experience. No. Yeah. Um, so when it turned into more online, it was a whole attachment of Word document, filling out an online profile, and then something that I think was amazing that came up was LinkedIn. I remember when it, when it came out, I still lived at home, and I remember saying to so many people, including you and family, this is going to be big. Like, this is going to be a big deal. And the first thing I thought is, if I could have thousands and thousands of people that I network with, like this is kind of the key driver to LinkedIn. It's about professionals networking. And when you say, you know, if you could reach out to thousands of users and what have yeah. you, meaning that there'd be more job potential, potential job opportunities for you. And collaboration, because you never know who you're going to meet, who you could maybe have a future sure. venture with, or who may need you in their business, or who I might be able to recommend someone that they can need in their business. Because I really am a networker. I've done these tests before. Psychometric testing. Yeah, and I'm and I'm the networker. Ah. So I'm the person who knows who knows a guy or knows a gal who, who knows who how to fix them, that. Who connects everyone together, and that okay. is how I am. And in my psychometric testing, I'm the leader. Okay. So organize I, I think, but that's progressed over the years because I think when I had a first psychometric test when I worked in the city when I was about 24, um, I was the networker. Okay. So you, you can see how over the years and with your experience and what you do, your 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 position develops not only in the job that you have ordinarily, but also in your psychometric testing, which is obviously your your physical development in your head. Yeah. Okay. It does evolve. Yeah. So LinkedIn came around. <clears throat> super excited about it. Took full advantage. 
and then thought I'm gonna apply for LinkedIn. Everything is here in one profile and people are gonna end up trusting this more than they do the paper CV and the old the older way of applying for jobs. Mm-hmm. And so said, so done. Even now when applying for jobs, people go say to you, do you have a LinkedIn profile? If you're gonna go on a website, they'll say, when I attach your LinkedIn, and um, even when you have an interview with an agency on the phone or you have an interview, you'll notice that recruiter would have looked at your LinkedIn. Okay, have any recruiters approached you through LinkedIn or any direct employers? Yes, um, many. Thus, I've had my last um, probably th- three jobs via LinkedIn. Ah, oh, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, so when I worked at the one of the biggest UK retailers I've worked for that was via LinkedIn mm-hmm. um, and the one I would worked for just previously was LinkedIn um, so you'd be surprised and a lot of opportunities and prospects you know people that will reach out and see your portfolio you always got to pay attention to who's messaging you it's not always spam there's sometimes people that are in their real opportunities I've got to tell you personally I, it's not for me I don't like it I find it to be um, and probably because of my age I think it's quite intrusive and um you know, people just want to tag on and jump on and piggyback and people that you didn't even really have much to do with in an organisation perhaps will try to, you know, be on LinkedIn with you and I don't see the point of that or the benefits for either them or me other than them knowing where I'm going or what jobs I'm applying for, mm-hmm. which is irrelevant. They were never my friends or work colleagues. So it's a little bit weird you don't I have find. To, you don't have to add them you could treat it's quite it like narcissistic Facebook. you could treat it like Facebook if you wouldn't say hi in person you don't say hi on Facebook and if you wouldn't shake a hand in person you don't add a network on you know, Facebook you know to be thing. fair to be quite honest with you I just treat it as if it's a tool that's there if I want to use it Yeah. and if I don't I won't and currently you very kindly set me up on it in 2009 I think it was and it's not something that's for me Yeah. it's there in the background I've got an account And I have been approached from employers, um, but always I've been working, so it's been fine. So um, I love that you talked about your interview for your first job. If we scale back a little bit later on in time, so maybe if you went into maybe your early 20s where your career was really picking up after your first job in a bank. Yeah. What were interviews like then? How long? Because you said you said it for about three years, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe you're about 19. Mm Maybe when you had a career role in your 20s, what was that interview like and, and what was that job like for you? Um, I'll tell you about the first one that I had after I had um, my oldest son. Um, I, the first interview I had was when he was two and a half years old and I started looking back very gradually to get him back into work. Yeah. Um, at that point, not wanting to go back to the banking environment because I've been there and done that. Um, but looking for something perhaps more local at that time because he was a little boy mm-hmm. and not at full-time school yet or in a full-time nursery um, uh, at that time. Um, so I took a job with the local council part-time initially as a outreach worker for uh, members of uh, the community, Haringey, who needed to downscale from larger homes to smaller homes because all their children had grown up and left home and were adults now. Okay. And say there was a mum and dad in a five bedroom house in Crouch End. Love it. It was my job to find them a different location if necessary or a smaller house in the same community if possible. But basically it was for a smaller smaller accommodation. Yeah. A council accommodation. And so I love that job. I absolutely adored it. I was made full time after about six months when I applied to go full time because um, my son was then in the full time nursery, mm-hmm. and um, and very soon would be going to prime uh, infant school. Um, so for me, that was that was ideal. And the interview process, to go back to your original question, mm-hmm. uh, the interview process was very straightforward. Again, paper application. Yeah. Um, I think I saw the job in the local advertiser that came through the door and was free. Ah, so and that's things. how the part-time role came about. So that's how a lot of the recruitment took place. Mm-hmm. Or you would see job opportunities in your local advertising paper, which was free. That's quite, uh, yeah, okay. So yeah. capture you to the, the newspaper was a big deal I know it's still a big deal now to a lot of people but it literally was part of the everyday it was part of your everyday so once a week you would get an edition of the advertiser as that particular paper was called and it was local to Tottenham Wood Green Edmonton 
all in that little community within Harringay. Okay. And so you'd get this in your door once a week. You'd be able to buy cots on there if there was a cot for sale, things like that. So they'd have their classifieds. They've had they've got their obituaries, their jobs, etc., and all the local news. So you've got everything in one package. Do you know what it reminds me of now listening to you? It sounds like I haven't used it, but that like Facebook Marketplace. Well, it I sounds thought, like yeah, that where yeah. you can find the little jobs and sell the little things locally. It sounds like they've transitioned that newspaper well, format. Th- this is this is the, the, the transition over time. Yeah. Um, if you were to think about maybe mum, your favourite job, was that your favourite job? No, I'd say it wasn't my favourite job. My absolute favourite job was working in the city for a reinsurance company. Okay. Um, and this is the company that gave me my foothold into facilities management in a professional way. I had been trained previously on uh, when I worked at LBMS, a, an American recruitment company, um, software company, beg your pardon. Um, they had uh, recruited me um, further to not being able to fill the role that I was trying to fill for them as a recruitment consultant. Yeah. So again, you know, I think, you know, like I always say to you, I think everything's already mapped out for your individual road in life. Agreed. But um, this was particularly fortuitous for me because it, I never get a job that I'm looking for. Does it always end up that you stumble into something else? Absolutely. but. A career path was coming, all the way it was coming, but I think in order for me to get to the career path that I had, I had to do the first set of career, which was recruitment. Right. So if we talk about perhaps how I got how I got into recruitment, we can lead right back, and I can show you the footholds that take you there. And it all so makes sense recruitment was um, by accident. So leaving the council and moving to East London, where we bought our first home. Um, meant that I couldn't transfer to Barking and Dagenham Council because there wasn't a role for me to transfer to, unfortunately, because that's initially what I thought I would do. Yeah. And when there wasn't a role, I just thought, okay, we'll settle into the new house and see how things go. Settle into the new house. And one day um, I've taken Richard to school and I go to Oxford Street and I'm shopping. And I'm going to Debenhams, I'm coming out of Debenhams and I think, oh, I'm going to go down to Bond Street. Mm-hmm. And then I see this recruitment consultancy, Brook Street Bureau, and had seen I think they still exist, don't they? That one or two maybe, but in okay. the main no. And they were everywhere. They were everywhere on your high street. And I walked in and I saw a role for an administrator or a receptionist or something. Um, and it was a temporary role. So I thought, oh I could do that easily. Yeah. I'll go in there, get a bit of money, can do a bit of shopping and you know what have so you. So shopping was on the mind. I always, <laughs> always will come to that. And uh, I went in and I told them that I was looking, I was interested in the role that I saw advertised in the window, and little cards in the window for each job, and um, told them a bit about myself. And the lady that was the branch manager, as she was called at that time, she said to me, you'd be ideal for the temporary controller. We've got a position working with us in this branch. So I said, "What? what is the temp controller? I didn't know what that was. And she explained what it was to me. I took it in and I thought, okay. And I said, is there training? And she said, yes, we'll send you to our recruitment school and blah, blah, blah. And the next thing I know, I was signed up to Brook Street Bureau, did a tranche of tests, tens and thousands of tests, was successful with that and went to the recruitment school for one week. At the recruitment school, they taught you how to be a recruitment consultant and a temp controller. And that was the making of me. And I stayed with them for a year, full year. And then I went to a private recruitment consultancy in Wigmore Street for another five years. And that's what led me into the first foothold. So we had a position at the private recruitment consultancy. A job was advertised through one of our clients for a um, office coordinator. This office coordinator was going to do facilities management and health and safety. Mm-hmm. We had sent numerous candidates, all with the right potential, on paper, and our client didn't seem to have any interest in any of them. So he would do interview after interview. Anyway, we reached a point where it had been about six weeks where this job was on, which was a long time in those days. And I decided to go down one Monday afternoon and ask him exactly what he was looking for. Right. And see whether we needed to adjust the job description, whether we needed to change something 
regarding their company that perhaps wasn't attracting the right candidate that we were sending through. Mm-hmm. When I did that, I went to see him at the end of the day. So it was about five o'clock by the time I saw him. Mm-hmm. So the end of my business day and coming towards the end of his business day. So I said, Roger, what is it you're looking for? We've been looking for this and we've sent you this person and that person and I brought a new CV here of this candidate would be ideal and all the rest of it. So of course, by the time I um, show him the second CV for the person that we think perhaps potentially would be a good candidate for him to interview, mm-hmm. he turns and he looks at me and he says, well, actually, I've thought about it and we want you for the job. How random. <laughs> well, you can imagine my surprise never saw that coming at all we were heading into a recession it was the mid 80s and things were getting really slim pickings in recruitment things were tough and especially tough for a temp controller Um, so initially I just thought it went over my head and I didn't think anything of it and I left and I said I'd have to think about it and he said please think about it and let me know no rush And I went back the next day to work and I talked to my um, manager about it, or the owner of the recruitment consultancy. And she reluctantly said to me, she thought I should consider it because I've got a good career ahead of me in facilities, if that's what what I want to get into. Um, And also these opportunities don't come up very often. And I've been five years with her and obviously it's on to the next thing really, isn't it, you know? So it was with a heavy heart that I left, but I had the blessing of my former employer, which you don't always get that. No, you don't. So I I left on a a high and with with good experience behind me that she had very, very, very kindly shared with me and nurtured me all the way. Because without that five years with her and that independent recruitment consultancy, there were so many things that I learned about life, etiquette, networking, how to operate as a young woman in a professional environment. She taught me an awful lot and I took a lot in. I was like a sponge. Tell me more about that then. So being, like you said, a young black professional who had pretty much gone from school straight into a career, how was that for you navigating? It sounds like it was quite an easy thing for you, like there was no major obstacles. I'm just I'm just asking this now because you're saying how good this particular employer was to you, but how was it that whole journey? I can honestly say to you, hand on heart, from the bank to Haringey Council to Brook Street Bureau, I had no obstacle in regards to my colour, my gender, my background and my cultural um, heritage. Absolutely nothing stood in my way. That's great. If there was racism anywhere, it wasn't presented to me in any format. Mm-hmm. And I can say that in all honesty. And throughout my career, it's been pretty much like that. Um, I'd like to think that you, when you go in to do a job and if you're sharp and you get your job done properly, your race, your culture is not the issue. It's about the job that gets done. Okay. I know that's not the same for everybody and I know things have changed dramatically in a very negative way and that's really sad to see yeah well going on to you saying that i mean with the way that i would you know people maybe my generation would search for jobs now where we have a linkedin yeah i guess some of the disadvantages could be that employers can see what you look like before you know you before you go in for an interview they can you know kind of look through and just decide based on your look that you're going to be right for the role yeah and that can happen a lot in certain industries where looks are at the forefront of things because remember before they could single you out by your name but my name is very 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 english and i think sometimes when i would appear for an interview um later on people were not aware that i was somebody of color Mm. until I arrived. How do you think my name sounds? I, I I don't know, because to me, it just sounds like your name. Because remember, there's no thought behind it from yeah. the perspective of the parents that name a child. But I'm just meaning in this instance, if you wasn't... If I saw your name on paper? Yeah, what would you be thinking? Would you be thinking, oh, I wonder where she's from? Yeah, I would, because okay. I think it's quite an unusual name. Because so, I, I don't find it hard to, to get interviews, to be honest. Yeah. So I'm kind of 
I'm kind of fortunate in that sense. Mm. With the LinkedIn, I mean, even if there's a, a photo, but if there, when there wasn't any photos, it was quite, it wasn't hard to get interviewed to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. But then with the LinkedIn, there was one point where I found it very difficult to get interviews. Oh, okay. Um, so I just wondered how my, how my name sounded to you. Because no. one disadvantage of that is that then people are making decisions before you even get your foot through any kind of door. But unfortunately, that is the case. And I don't think um, we need to even ponder on that too much. It is the case. Mm-hmm. And people use that as a form of um, segregation. And, and, and that's where the lack of diversity comes in. And it's not inclusive then, is it? No, not at all. Not at all. Inclusive in the workplace and all of that, that's all new. Mm. That's all new because those words were not bandied about then. It's either you're right for the job or you're not. That's how it would be phrased. Yeah. Well, actually, it's so funny because the the company that was probably a favourite company I've ever worked for, in terms of just all-round... I think it was a good a good job for me. Probably was at Marks and Spencers. Oh, okay. I think that that place was was good for me in a sense of the transition from girl to a woman, and what that place taught me beyond the job. Okay. And I had um, when I worked at Marks and Spencers, we went to a two day course with a gentleman who who was the founder of inclusion and diversity. Um, I've got to remember the whole line. His name is Paul Walsh. Excellent. It was two days just based there, but he really does it in a way and presents it where you truly understand what inclusion and diversity is. Not just assuming that it means we've got to have a mixture of someone black and someone white. It's way more than that. You see, but Marks and, Spencer's, Marks and Spencer's live their values. Okay, so they've taken on diversity, but they take it on with two hands, mm-hmm. yeah? As opposed to one and then balancing something else with the other hand, yeah. which is what a lot of organisations do, whether they're large or small, just so they can have that tag or that strap line as part of their brand. We are inclusive. We do diversity. So, you know, plaudits to Marks and Spencer's to, you know, for having that lasting impression on you, certainly. And, and he was excellent in the way he does it. So he was he's a, um, a biracial man, but he had a lot of story to tell. So he even talks to you about different jobs he's worked at and when he's applied for them and just, and how he's treated, how he felt and how it really taught him then to go and study this whole element, you know, this whole world and then present it to others. And it does it in such a great way where people really leave understanding, but having compassion for others having compassion for someone that speaks another language, having compassion for someone who's here is different colour to theirs. So in every sense, you really leave there going, I understand what this means. And then you're in a place of choice, obviously. You then go off into a place of business and you and you bring it alive. But so did I, they... Did, did, okay, so Paul came and did that. You're new to the organisation, I'm thinking, at that time. I was kind of... Not really, not okay. really at that time. But were Marks and Spencers living up to these values? Yeah. As part of your day-to-day experience as a woman of colour in that environment? Marks and Spencers as a whole, yes. So I did go to different shops. So when I went to for my training, I was in Enfield locally. And you did get some people that had been there for a very long time, like 30-odd, 40-odd years. Yeah. And those are the ones who are a little bit more difficult. And there were some people who treated you treat me different, but I didn't... Back then, my mindset wasn't there. I never saw... I never, I never felt like I was treated differently in a workplace based on the way I looked, the way I sounded, any of those things, cultural backgrounds. Didn't feel it before. Because I you always weren't felt like it, that way. I wasn't. And I always felt like maybe, oh, maybe it's just me or there's something that me and this person has going on. But I never, ever thought about, you know, diversity being an issue. But when I went there, I did see little things, but it was nothing that I thought. Because after a while, that person that might have been a moody old lady that was being horrible to me was then the person I was sitting with at lunchtime all the time after that. So it really was things that would fade away, but yeah. I think a lot of them as well were just set in stone. It was all the change they experienced all the time, and they've watched that building probably from the very beginning to now today. Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. you learned so much history working there. And um, for me, when I was saying my favorite job, it was meeting those people that had been in retail at the beginning of retail when it was in its pinnacle, you know, like in its heyday. Yeah. In the, in the times when I was a little girl shopping with you, mm-hmm. and I'd go into an MS and we'd buy our nice treats, then you'd do a bit of shopping, buy school clothes, grandma mm-hmm. would come in, we'd have a coffee together. And those are the, the ones who would have been there probably serving you. They knew all these shops, you know, their mums, their sisters worked there. 
and they could tell you the history and that was really lovely for me because it was a com- it was a company that I knew was history but I was able to really hear the history mm-hmm. and then also what I liked about it it was the first place I worked within retail that's the, that's the road I chose after my degree field and looking for a degree job is I, I, I was able to really do the job role and most places you'd have the job role advertised and then you were not able to really fulfill that job role you wasn't able to really fulfill effective feedback and coaching. That time didn't exist. It was all about hands to the floor, let's merchandise, etc. But here, your true job was to really just lead your lead your managers that you're gonna manage. Yeah. And I got to do it every day. Just and you're allowed them. to get on and do that. And just do that. And the impact that has is powerful for mm-hmm. them because they're learning and developing to be good manage, good leaders and managers you're then seeing the results of what you can do the impact of what you can do and what you can bring to an environment and workplace and how you're effective you are as a leader you're just leading so it's no longer getting your hands in the pool it's can you lead for your people okay and then you stand back and effectively see what your leadership has done yes for your location mm-hmm. and for your target figures right yeah, totally okay and that was really really um powerful for me and i loved it so it sounds very empowering that they left you with that empowering spirit totally favorite favorite place to work and when i left it was really emotional oh. you know tears and everything like that i loved working in the watford branch in particular that was my favorite and then i was um promoted on to go to my own shop i didn't go to my suspenses with the with the notion of wanting my own shop i kind of felt like at the time i was done with that yeah i'd done so much i just thought i just want to be happy and nice and a nice role that really tickles my fancy as you know i'm not money orientated or driven mm. so i just wanted to go into a role that would really just keep me buzzing and alive and i could i could be tired mentally and no longer physically and i, re- and I got that yeah okay um, and that was my favourite, favourite, favourite place to work. And I'll say to anyone, hands down, great place to work. And one of the strap lines is, or one of the mottos is, great place to work. And they they deliver, deliver that. Excellent. That's really good to hear. Yeah. And what about your worst role? Let's hear, oh let's hear about gosh. that if it's not too painful. <sighs> We do often don't have... Name the name of the, <laughs> don't name the name of the employer. No, I won't. I would say. All right, so worst role for me, um, not very far away in terms of time scale, just poor structure, um, no ability to have autonomy to, to do your job. So every day is, a, oh, let's jump in and do that, let's jump in and do that. And that really takes you out of momentum in terms of being able to think and plan. And your comfort zone. Um, it's not even about comfort for no. me. It's almost like, how can we just have a momentum where we can keep on going from yesterday? It sounds like it's just knee-jerking the whole time. That's exactly what it is. It just is a day of knee-jerking every day. That's and exhausting. Yeah, it really is exhausting. It lacks diver- The place lacks diversity okay. and inclusivity. So already that doesn't feel great. Um, it means that you don't you know go into certain environments and see yourself as individuals which is not a great thing it then makes you feel very much uncomfortable and you're quite isolated quite isolated mm-hmm. um, but then you're trying to lead a team and this is how you feel yeah essentially. that must have been quite difficult definitely and a lack of training so so the expectations of... were that you do knee jerking all day long um, you're not included in most things and you're not recognized um, but you just need to do your job. That was spot on. Spot on. Yeah, exactly just that. But not having the training to go over or development either. I remember my, my leader in this role, no development. And then the minute there's a problem from, you know, higher powers that be... It's your problem. It's not done. Yeah, absolutely your problem. But then all while this is going on, no one's thinking we're not developing these people. But you have to make sure you're developing your people, but you're not getting it. So I think for me that makes it just the absolute worst role. It just is just how how even getting by. It just is insane. It just is insane. I'm so glad that you put that behind you and forged a, a fantastic career. Um, what about you? Me, my worst job was, um, it's a little bit emotional really when I talk about it because it does link into a personal situation for myself in regards to my health. Um, after having ill health for about a year and a half, I went back to work after being off long-term sick Mm -hmm. and I went back to work at one of my favourite jobs which was for the Met Police. I was a contractor there for seven years. Mm -hmm. Um, Perfect location for me, perfect contract and wonderful client. However, we lost the contract um, which is what happens when you're a contractor. 
contractors come contracts come up for tender they're renegotiated and uh, maybe the best bidder wins yeah uh, on this occasion it wasn't my organization after the seven years as i said so we were two bid over to another organization that i will not name for obvious reasons um and that was the worst experience i've ever had in my working life what made it the worst for you, for um, you? give bullet points uh bullet points inexperienced people trying to manage me mm-hmm. i know that's why um inexperienced people trying to take over my role without knowing how to deliver it to the client um inexperienced people being completely devoid of any knowledge or background of the industry or the contract that we're trying to deliver mm-hmm. not even reading the contract big no no you can't go in front of a client and not understand what the contract the aspects of the contract are so that's whether that's your M&E or your soft services or your catering you've got to know that contract inside and out before you sit down with that client to have any kind of a structured meeting mm-hmm. which is what we would have yeah and also to negotiate any changes in prices or anything of the main contract so no contract addendums can happen unless you you know the contract right wow you got to do a bit of research and everything no nope. this this young person didn't think they needed to do that they just said oh it doesn't matter what you've done in the past just tell me what you do now and i'll pick it up you know what's so funny i feel like the same approach as in my worst job the person didn't even read our cvs i don't think he even saw me i think he looked right through me up i don't think he saw me and literally i chose not to see you he chose not to see me he looked through me he came into my office and he kind of said yeah so what do you do then write it down here and that's how he spoke to me and i think i took umbrage to that and uh, uh, made other arrangements quite swiftly i don't blame you so that's that's again that's some that's really lacking in inclusivity too completely you're describing him as a younger character much um, much younger 23 years old to my 40 odd years old didn't even take the time to get to know you no. that's someone that's not even interested in leading from a place of inclusivity but it means that somebody that recruited him didn't arm him with the information that he needed in order to manage any teams let alone an individual director yeah it's ridiculous I'm so sorry to go through that. I mean, it's tough. And to go through that at that stage in your life. That's the part that was tough. That's the part. I think ordinarily if I'd been fully well, not away from the business for 18 months, all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. I think I would have definitely had a completely different footing with the whole thing and come across, come, 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 reacted to it in a completely different way. You can see that I can't even string my words together because it's still emotional to a point because one, I wouldn't like it to happen to anybody else. Mm It, it, it shouldn't have happened it did but I'd like to think that these behaviours are not repeated but you're quite clearly telling me to some level they are oh totally so that's I mean, that's quite yeah. sad to me and that sounds like that was your was that your first time coming into direct working contact like that with someone that was a millennial because then as you're going through your work career you're slowly now merging with different generations aren't you i had worked with different generations um millennials on a very low level to be fair yeah um but yes absolutely because i'm not saying that young people can't manage older people because we know that to be a fact that can work yes um but with that comes a a a portion of respect and trying to understand what the person does as you said Uh understanding what your own role is first because he didn't understand what his role was and he didn't understand what my was was but he didn't care to find out about either one so he was quite lazy that's the first thing he was extremely lazy that is yeah i agree with you you can't be lazy and then run a contract at that high level you know you'd come he'd come from university and he had an it background and i'm sure he was very good at what he did in it Mm -hmm. he didn't have any people skills and i was the test run and you unfortunately didn't enjoy that experience i didn't enjoy that experience and i absolutely made sure that um it wasn't a win for them either good yeah because justice you know you can't allow people just to untangle you and throw you to the wayside that's exactly it's it's such a good way that you put it it's quite harsh but it's the facts 
I was cast aside because in his eyes, what I did didn't actually matter. Mm-hmm. But what I did held the whole contract together. And they soon probably realised that. They lost that. Con- they lost that contract after nine to ten months. Mm-hmm. So I think that says an awful lot about that organisation, and they're no longer in business. Okay. In the world of facilities management, they've gone bust. Wow. Because, well, imagine what would have happened if they would have kept, if they would have treated someone like you a lot better. And when you're saying that, you know, so many elements really remind me of that worst job of mine. Mm-hmm. Because we had, you know, like I said, a leader who didn't even bother to look at any of our CVs. I mean, it's shocking. Okay. It, that's fine if you get to know somebody and you take the time out to say, let's go for a coffee and let's meet and let's me know a bit more about you. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen either. But you know what's so funny? Where we have things like LinkedIn now, I was able to go and have a look on their LinkedIn and see what they've done for a living. Of course, yes. And I know this probably sounds so terrible, but the first thing I said when I was, I was out with a friend and I was excited, I got the job, Ooh, mm. really happy, looked up my leader on LinkedIn and just thought, ooh, this person's either going to be fantastic yeah. because it's their first time doing this mm-hmm. and they've got so much people skills, which I wouldn't know yet, or this person's going to be terrible at doing this. They've never done anything like it, but looking at their background, they're not a people person. All their previous jobs are very isolated roles that didn't really include people and, you know, creating a team. So and alarm bells went off, I take yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> because when it comes to reading a CV, wow. I really think I'm great. I, I think that I'm quite good at reading a CV. Obviously, you do have to layer on top meeting that person. It's not That's not the only thing to it. But in terms of reading a CV, I kind of know what I'm going to get to a certain extent. And I give it time to wait and see. So I waited and I watched and I listened and exactly what was the latter in terms of this person not being great, not people, no people skills, didn't know how to build a team. Most of the ideas are mine on how we'd you know build this whole you know area network of people, what have you. And I remember thinking, what would happen if I wasn't here? Would you know what to do? Most ideas I threw out, oh, taking a pen and a pad and writing them down. I just thought, ah, okay, you don't know how to do this job. That's why we never get no development. That's why there's never any ideas coming directly from you. I've noticed emails going that were copied and pasted with my exact word for word them with their name on the and the footer of the email at the end of it so, so nepotism from your line manager yeah wow yeah again very lazy so this Basically. person isn't growing they're not developing they've te- they've 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 got themselves a job that they blagged this is what you're telling me here this yes. is what it sounds like they've blagged a job they've got the job trying to keep the job now means they've got to focus on themselves only not on the team because they're actually trying to develop themselves to hold on to a job. And that's exactly what it feels like. And that's what like. it sounds like. That's what it feels like. It feels like this person puts themselves, that they were putting themselves right in the front of things. Anything they could do to give themselves a brownie point or a star, that was all that mattered. And then the, the team that they were leading, there was nothing given to them. So other than just trying to keep everybody happy, you know, making mm. sure there's no issues. Everything was about how he could build up his portfolio. He can't sustain that. Very sad. He won't be able to sustain they won't. that. And I know because that. Because this is very taxing. This is very taxing. He's going to get burnt out. And you know, without if you if you don't contribute, what is he going to do? Nothing. Nothing will happen. Or you'll find somebody else to. But you know, people after a while started to say the same thing and notice. Oh, oh, good. I had an idea and presented that but that was my idea and made it sound as though it came from him mm-hmm. so it's been something Lazy. that people are catching on to Lazy. but um, that's how that went I'm sure probably a lot of people out there experience some of these similar sure, things absolutely and um, it's about how you navigate through so I love that you mentioned on that role that was was not your favourite job that you obviously made sure that you you didn't just let your you didn't just let them untangle you and throw them to the wayside. You made sure you came back with some sort of a professional fight. And in my situation, I started to obviously gather the events and note down what, what happened in those series and I brought it to the HR team there, which was not the greatest, but I made sure that I tried to basically have all my notes put aside. So if anyone does go through that, it's about having those events written down because you might need to use them one day but you shouldn't just allow yourself to be untangled and thrown away to the wayside come back with a fight if you can and it shouldn't really matter about the color of your skin or your confidence of it at the end of the day 
if you've got a decent HR system or you're part of a union, you can do something with it. I believe you can. Yeah, it's not all in the employer's favour. You're absolutely right. And I think over time, um, certain organisations start to learn that actually you do have to be fair and inclusive. You do have to stop singling people out for different treatment because the, the kind of energy that they put into that is only a negative effect, not only on them, but on the wider organisation or the wider company. Um, there are a number of companies that now, if you were going to take somebody to tribunal, there's a whole list of companies that have faced the tribunal on so many occasions that they do anything to get out of facing the tribunal again. Wow. Because they're constantly making mistakes, not necessarily the same ones, but mistakes all the same. And this is what, unfortunately, the way that the world is now. Um, I can't speak for any other country that, other than ours, but you know, there are, an org there are organizations that slip up on a daily basis in the way that they treat people of color mm -hmm. or people from different cultural perspectives. Yes. And you know, it just is what do, what do you do in those scenarios? Because some people don't know how to, they don't know they have any rights. And no, I think and that, this, and that this employer is, is tends to bully them, knowing full well that these people don't perhaps sometimes have the, the intelligence to really seek outside um, guidance. Because, you know, first and foremost, it's like, this is our HR policy, and that's the, that's the final word. And really, it isn't. Well, someone, Depending on the scenario. Someone I know of, you know, that was attempted with them, and they had, they knew somebody who was very close with them that actually knew policies inside and out as a professional career mm -hmm. and then that company after receiving a letter from them had to backtrack had to backtrack on everything that they tried to you know accuse this person of because they realized that they were breaking breaking a hr law there breaking a hr law there but imagine if that person it's didn't have that advice yeah, absolutely. that person to kind of let them know that no this isn't okay and we can do something about it they could have lost their entire job, which would could you know ruin their career. Absolutely, and that's the scenarios people are put in a lot. They're backed into a corner, and if they don't know, yeah, that's it. They're but stuck. That, but that company is still to be on the watch list, as far as I'm concerned, because they attempted to do that. Mm. You know, the mere fact they attempted to do that, and this person had a little bit of know-how, knowledge behind them, or somebody that could represent them. You know, that person will still clearly be somebody that they've got an eye on even though they might not do anything because you know these behaviors can't really stop overnight and just because they got that letter they might leave that person alone mm -hmm. but they'll have started something and they're still watching yeah do, do you know what i mean but they've yeah, got I'm to follow you. the letter of the law which is what you're telling me yeah but unfortunately they've actually shown their hand yeah what they're attempting to yeah. do anyway absolutely and they have been complained they had complained about that person quite a bit but i was thinking um what would be if we were to give advice, like from your perspective and from mine, on perhaps interviewing, mm -hmm. what advice would you give on interviewing to someone today? If you was going to give two, maybe two or three points of advice for interviewing, what would you give? When you go to an interview, know exactly what you're talking about in regards to the role. Um, if it's a role that you can ease into and you can transition to because you've got a small amount of experience, that's one thing. If you're going to a role where you need to be fully knowledgeable, make sure you are. Okay. You can get caught out in so many different ways now, remember, because of technology. Mm -hmm. Very true. So be truthful, be committed, certainly turn up to an interview looking like somebody that's professional and up for a job in a corporate organisation or wherever you're going. Mm -hmm. Look the part. And certainly make sure that you make eye contact with your interviewee. Or if it's a panel, make sure you make eye contact with all of them. You know, but your confidence is essential and just to be professional and committed to giving a good interview. Mm. And I would say know your CV inside out. Um, you don't want the employer to know your CV better than you. So you need to know your work history and know it properly. Absolutely. <laughs> know what date you left a job if you had a career break in between. Know, remember where you went. 
because they're going to be asking you these questions, believe it or not, in detail. That doesn't go away. They're not only focused on, you know, just what you did in that job. Know your numbers as well. When it's time to talk around your KPIs and how you were able to move a business on and show some growth, be make sure you know your numbers. What percentage did you lift by? How many people did you directly impact? And if you had, um, you know, poll survey results, what was that impact and that increase? So know the detail. I definitely would say as well, be great to connect. So if you're a shy person, that's your moment to really showcase the best of your personality. Make sure you're connecting well, because the interview is not only about what you can do, it's about, do we like this person? Can we work with them? Because sometimes you might not be right for the role that you've gone for, but there might be something else in the organisation that you can segue to. And that's that's where they would then have the opportunity to say, well, we saw this young lady or this young man, and really he wasn't right for that role, but he'd be fantastic for this role that's coming up next month. Mm-hmm. So, you know, ingratiate yourself with the people that you're being interviewed by, because it's your first impression, which is a lasting impression. Totally. And you've had the great experience of being able to segue where you've gone for interview and they've said, actually, you know, you'd be great for this role. And I guess if we could maybe just tie up mum on what bits of advice would you give people who are going through scenarios like we talked about in detail where maybe they've been treated differently or maybe they're coming up, you know, against a really tough, a tough work time in terms of how they're being treated. What advice would you give Those adverse kind of um, interactions in the workplace can be lasting, especially if somebody's quite vulnerable. My advice would be to listen and to take notes about what is going on, things that you're not comfortable with, make sure that you're documenting them, sending emails to your personal email address. If you feel the need, you can certainly sense when something isn't going as it should. And certainly when any treatment starts to be different from that of your coworkers, you need to get all over that. And the best thing I would say is to make sure you are part of a union. Um, That's essential in this day and age, especially in terms of equality. Not every employer, even though they are supposed to deliver that, is doing that. And it could be that the wider organisation are not even aware of that. This individual is taking it upon themselves to behave in a certain way Mm -hmm. that isn't conducive to the policies or the values of the organisation. And that's where you put a stop to that if you're in the union and you want to take it further, you would need to take out a grievance and do several other things. But please don't just accept different treatment. It's not on. And we're not accepting that. Totally. And I would give advice and from my own experience because I have let a lot of things go to the wayside or, oh, let me just see how this goes. And I'll definitely agree with you, Mum, in terms mm-hmm. of knowing things down and keeping them separate. If it's a notebook or yeah. if it's your personal email, keep notes of dates and times and exactly what happened because you will forget. And I'll also say, don't be shy to speak up. If you've got a HR system in your company, which you will do, every company has that, speak up. When you've got a solidified amount of evidence and things that have happened, raise it. Because the good thing is that you probably have electronic proof of you trying to raise that. Um, so if you have to later on raise it to higher powers than that person, you can forward that on and say, hey, I'm still being treated this way or nothing happened in terms of the outcome of this situation, which has impacted me in X way. So I would say don't be shy to speak up because you can sometimes feel like you can't. You feel like everybody there is maybe in cahoots or they're really close friends and you feel uncomfortable to say, I'm being treated differently and I want something done about it. So don't be shy. Um, I think I'd just, just add to that finally by saying, you know, we have to remember sometimes these things are happening in a small silo situation whereby the wider organisation is unaware how staff are being treated in certain parts of the organisation. So that's where, as Cleone said, you absolutely have to speak up. It's your opportunity and it's your chance to make change for the better. Well, thanks so much for listening to our first episode of our podcast, Blue Naminal, and that's Baby Boomer and a Millennial. And that's Mo and Clee. Speak to you soon. Bye.